if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians, or rather 1 Peter. I forgot what book we're in. 1 Peter 3. Let's pick up verse 8 through verse 17. And uh, Matt and Larry have given me the most difficult passages, and uh, I appreciate them for that, I think. Uh, this is a tough passage because uh, it talks to me like I don't like to be talked to. Uh, you don't have to like everything the Bible says for it to be true. When's the last time you changed your mind about anything? You know, we, we want to bring to the Bible what we want it to say. And when you read a passage like this, um, you know, why don't you just keep your finger here, and I'll show you how Peter is in harmony with Jesus. Look at Luke 6. Luke 6, and let's pick up... Uh, verse uh, 27 and then we'll go to the first Peter passage now this is Jesus speaking he said the same thing in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount and listen to what he says but to you who are listening I say get even with your enemies wait See, under the law, it was eye for an eye. You always got even. You, you, it, and that was a restraint because in the Near East, everything was blood revenge. I mean, if you, if you cut my hand off, I kill you. Uh, the law restricted it by saying, don't do any more damage than was done to you. If they took your hand, you take their hand. If they took your eye. You and that was restraint. That was, that was restraint. But now, here he's saying, Love your enemies. Do good to those who give you gifts. I mean, who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray about those who mistreat you. Oh, yeah, I'll pray. If someone slaps you, on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, And isn't that the way most of us operate? We think we're doing good to love those who love us. Uh, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment. What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. I don't want my children to read this. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. 
Boy, I just hope my enemies don't read this verse. <laughs> then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind, God, to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. In Matthew, he said, be perfect as your Father is imperfect. Here he qualifies the perfection. The perfection he wants is be as mature as God, and that is be merciful to people that don't deserve it. Okay, now let's go to 1 Peter. Verse 8, finally all of you, 3.8, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must uh, turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And I'm going to say, Peter, everybody. But he, he said, he went on, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good and for doing evil. I want to speak about living in contrast, a very word that Peter uses. You in contrast to what the culture's doing, I want your response to be in contrast to what they do. And we're going to look in verse 8. He tells us five things we ought to do towards one another's believers. But then he picks up in verse 9, what we should be willing to do, five things we ought to be willing to do when we're treated evil, treated uh, despicably, and even persecuted for our faith. And so he gives us a five-step response to how we should respond in contrast to the culture. Look at these five things in verse 8. He said we ought to be sympathetic, uh, but first like-minded. Uh, we should all vote the same. I've never seen folks more divided over politics than now. Some of, I know some folks, politics is greater than unity. It, it's everything. It's everything. Uh, could you love the opposite party? Could you? 
Uh, I'll submit if, I, if the person I voted in is voted in. All of that stuff. He's not talking about politics. He's not talking about who you married. Have you ever seen somebody married to someone? You said, how could he have ever married that girl? Because you said, ooh, I, I see no beauty. Now, I married the one I picked. I like what I picked. So we don't agree on a lot of things, but it's about like-minded in the faith, like-minded about Christ, like-minded about what truth is. Right out of Philippians 2, have this attitude in you which was in Christ. Learn to think like Christ. If you know Christ, do you think like him? And that's what he's saying. Think the same things. Then he says, be sympathetic. And it's simply the ability to rejoice for those that rejoice, to weep for those that weep. And by the way, you can find more people to weep with you over sorrow than you can to rejoice with you over promotion. You got to be real guarded on promotions. That's going to be a small circle because not many folks can stand the idea you're doing better than them. That's hard on them. But we ought to be willing to. We rejoice with you at your favor, and we will weep with you over your sorrows. That, that's the brotherhood. Then he said, love one another as brothers, brotherly love. Uh, I, we all come from different backgrounds, different personalities, but the new birth gives us a new nature, and one of the symptoms of that is you love Christians. Thank you for that, amen. <laughs> Do you ever hear people say, well, I, I love God, I just can't stand Christians. Uh, I, I'm sold on Jesus, but the church just makes me sick. I don't like the church. Well, one reason is you're a part of it. Uh, you brought your faults. I brought mine. Uh, do we love like brothers? Now, what's really pitiful, I know families that don't love their own siblings. They fight all the time with themselves, so they bring that right over to church life. They, you know, they, they're going to fight in the church because they fought in the home. All the, no, cut that out. Cut that out. Uh, love like brothers. Like, you know, I got five brothers, two sisters. And we all shared the same womb, the same parents, whatever. There is a bond there of identity and origin and source that ought to make us have a special bond with each other that is natural affection. So he said, love like brothers, be compassionate. And that word there is the word for intestines. It meant to splachnoi, feel, because the Greek said your emotions are in your stomach. They didn't say in the heart. They said in the intestines. And so they said, you ought to feel with people. You ought to be compassionate. And when you read the Gospels, the most common emotion ever used to describe Jesus was compassion. That was the most common one. And the word had the idea he would be moved with compassion in the intestines, as it were. Then he would heal. Moved, act. Moved, act. And you look at some people, you never see them taking action. You know why? They never feel. They never feel. Uh, they, they don't feel someone's sorrow. 
They don't feel the, uh, the pain, lostness, homelessness, uh, all the tragedies going on in the culture. God enables us to have compassion to people. Compassion. You're not trying to find out why they don't deserve it. That's not your business. It's your business. What will you do about their present plight? What if God would have gave you a lecture on the reason he found you the way he did? No, 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 no. We, we're already guilty. We're already guilty. Then he says, be humble-minded. Be humble. And, uh, and basically, humility says, I don't rate myself higher than the people I'm around. I don't rank myself higher than you. Uh, education doesn't do that. Pigmentation doesn't determine that. Economics don't. No, I, I, I see you as valuable as I think I am. C.S. Lewis says humility doesn't mean you never think about yourself, but you think about yourself less. You think about others. So we need humility. Now he moves to Let's move out of the household of faith. And now let's move into the culture that is very hostile. Let me say something about this culture. Nero is going to kill the writer. He's going to have him crucified upside down. Nero is going to kill the apostle Paul. Now, how in the world can God put government in place that kills the two leading apostles? And they've already clubbed James to death. They pushed James off of a pinnacle. Uh, he was getting up in age, dusted him off. But a laundryman of all people was there with the mob, and he took a fuller's club and bashed his brains out. So the three great apostles of the church, James, Peter, Paul, these men all died martyrs' deaths for the faith. They're not talking theory. Uh, and here's a, a Peter He's a man of great courage at times. Just think in the garden when you've got all these soldiers coming around. Well, I mean, the courage, the chutzpah, the backbone to take a sword and boom, like that, you've taken a guy's ear off. Do you think he was aiming at the ear? I don't think so. It was dark. He was going for the neck. In other words, Peter's a scrapper. He, uh, this turning the other cheek business, he didn't grow up with. Uh, and you, James was called the Zealot. The Zealot, the Maccabees. They called Maccabees meant the hammer. In the 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew, the Jews fought the Romans and the Greeks, and they became known as the Maccabean revolt. Kill in the name of God. We are a theocracy. We are Israel, and get the pagans out. Kill them. Kill them. And Maccabees boys, they were famous fighters. They took down Greek soldiers riding elephants to kill them. They killed the elephant and the soldiers. They were remarkable fighters. And here we come along. We're hearing something. It says, let me tell you how to respond to those who are going to mistreat you like they're doing me. Well, the first thing he would say Bless others that you might be blessed. That's okay, isn't it? Blessed are the peacemakers. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. 
On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. God will bless you for being good to mean people. God will bless you for returning good instead of evil. Now, see, most of you think you're heroic Christians if you like the people in this church. You hadn't seen anything. Huh? Most of us are blood wars. Most of us already regenerate. You should have seen us before God got a hold of us. We just soon smack you. Huh? Come on. Just to survive Richmond, you had to learn to act tough, whether we were or not. And he said, here, be good to people, despite the way they treat you, and God will bless you. There's a blessing. He's got a blessing for you. If you'll return good for evil. I love the story that during the Cold War, uh, when... Uh, uh, Russia, they built the Berlin Wall, dividing the east from the west. And uh, uh, on one occasion, to be honorary, uh, the communist Russian side, they brought dump trucks out to the Berlin Wall, and they emptied those dump trucks full of garbage. And so the West Berliners are trying to figure out how to get revenge and how to get even they came up with a terrific plan. They filled dump trucks full of canned goods, food, cereals, things that the East was being deprived of. I've been in East Germany. I remember it when nothing but potholes, the buildings had not been painted. It was run down. You go to the west side, everything was blossoming, doing good. And so what they did, they loaded their dump trucks, they went to the wall, they emptied them with all this food and good stuff and put a sign, each gives what each has. Each gives what each has. All you've got to give is garbage. We've got good things to give. Children of God, do you have anything good to give to a culture that is dying without Christ? Are you full as much venom as they are? Do you hate as much as them? He said, I've got a blessing for you if you'll return good for evil. He goes on, bless others by what you say and by what you pursue. Bless others by what you say and by what you do. Watch what he says. Whoever would love life, Psalms 34, and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. One of the greatest ways you can bless people is to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Do you need this to be any deeper? If you just could train your mouth to do good, keep it from being used in a negative way. Can you think of what mouth? I, I mean, look at our day. We are flooded with media mouth. Twitter, 
Some of you ought to get off of Facebook. I mean, you blab everything on Facebook and you're a coward in public. You don't say anything. But boy, you've got a regular pulpit when you get on that computer. I'm going to tell them all I think. Oh, shut up. Shut up. We already know all this negative. Why don't you send a gospel message? Why don't you mail out a verse? Quit telling me how to vote, would you? Don't tell me how to vote. Don't even mention politics to me. I don't care who they vote in. It's going to take more than either party's got to change this country. It's going to take God. It's going to take God. We get folks to rant about politics, you can't get them to a prayer meeting because they got more confidence in their party than they do God. If my people would humble themselves and pray, I would hear from heaven. I would hear from heaven. So he's saying here, take your mouth and be sure you don't use it to spread garbage, negative. I don't care how you do it. Media, speech, just negative. My, it's amazing how many churches have been destroyed over the mouth. The mouth. Not adultery, the mouth. Just talk. Negativism. Are we a negative church or are we positive? Do we talk like we've got the gospel or do we talk like there is no good news? Because you cooled off about the gospel. Ah, that's old man lie that Jesus buried, rose again. What? You know what? You lost your first love. You lost the passion for him. You fell out of love with him. Now you want to talk about everything else. Why don't you tell me about Jesus? This is what this culture needs. It's always needed it. You needed it. They need it. So watch your mouth. Two, he said, make your feet employed to pursue peace. Be a peacemaker, pursuer. And you have to ask yourself, does peace go where you go? Do things get better when you show up? Pray about it. That's all right. <laughs> I mean, do the dogs and cats start running when you pull up in the driveway? Because they know you're home. I mean, uh, what is there any peace? I know some people, as soon as they show up, there's going to be trouble. Because they carry the trouble in their heart. They're the trouble. They're the trouble. And he said, get your mouth under control. Get your feet employed in peace. Then he says two things. By the way, God sees everything you're doing. And besides that, he, he's got his ear. He's listening for someone to pray. I, I, I'm, I'm listening, but I don't hear you. Uh, maybe I need a hearing aid. I, I can't hear you. I hear you griping. I hear you trashing everybody. I hear your gossip, your negative speech. You know how to tell people off. You just don't know how to pray. I'm listening. I'm listening. And he said, if you'd learn to do that, I'll bless you. Hush. Pursue peace. No God's looking on. You're not doing anything in secret. You see, hidden sin down here is public scandal up there. He knows exactly. 
what you do. And he said, I'm listening to hear you pray. Alice is known for being in a ministry, going around teaching people to pray. Did you know most folks in our church don't know how to pray? They don't know how to pray. They don't know what it is just to wait on God. That tradition has died because we know how to have church without prayer. We need a fog machine. I'm going to tell you, I keep you in the fog. You don't need a machine here. Uh, He goes on. He said, uh, you're blessed if God has chosen to let you suffer. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Is that not amazing? And, and you know, I personally, I just say, Lord, I love you, but you can keep that one. Bless somebody else. Rich Rollins used to always do that. He was mean to me. He said, Lord, you know Phil's more righteous than me. Give me twice as much trouble. If the lightning hits, let it hit him. I went the coward's way out. You know, and he'd always go on, and then he'd get me where I wanted to hit him. And uh, if, you should, if you should suffer for what is right, have any of you ever suffered for what is right? Okay. So I've spent 60 years in the church. I feel persecuted if you just don't say something nice. What about when you're out there, your faith is ridiculed? Our kids are living with it every day, especially if they're going to public uh, colleges. Their, their faith is made fun of. The parents are, if they've got any morals, it's made fun of. If they're not an uh, evolutionist, their ignorance is just, you know, advertised and on. Oh, it's not easy on campus, not easy on a lot of jobs. Uh, So you just learn to be quiet. But he said, uh, it's a blessed thing if God has chosen you to suffer for what is right. That's, That's a tough one. I just... uh, I'm reading Stephen Oates. He won the Kennedy Writing Award for writing the life of Martin Luther King. And he he picks up King's Montgomery, the 50s and the 60s. He was killed in 63. So he gives that period of time See, I only watch civil rights on, on a black and white TV because I'm I'm California boy. I don't know anything about Mississippi. I don't know anything about Georgia and Alabama. And most of you, if you grew up here, you don't know that. Most of you white kids, you don't know what civil rights were. You don't even know the battle. That's why you need to read a Martin Luther King. And King, when he went to Boston University, he bought into a lot of the uh, liberal social gospel men, but out of that, a hero was Gandhi uh, to him because he was amazed that Gandhi could uh, resist the British uh, government and do his march to the sea and bring 
try to bring down the caste system, try to bring justice, try to bring fairness without bloodshed, without violence. Now, when King rises up, uh, while he's rising up, Malcolm X rises up, and, and he says, kill, kill, and let's go back to Africa. You had Farrakhan starting the Muslim nation. Let's, let's learn, hate white people, hate white people. Uh, you had Black Panthers in Oakland. Uh, so you had the militant groups. You had the groups kill whatever it takes. We're fed up. We're sick and tired. And you got this Baptist preacher down in Montgomery and leading the boycott because Rosa Parks says, I don't want to give up my seat. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm sorry I'm in a white man's seat, but I can't give it up. I'm tired, old woman. I've been working as a domestic for 10 hours, and now you're telling me to give up my seat. And they shut down the bus lines, and black people walked in the weather, in the storm for a year and a half. Domestics all over Montgomery because we think we ought to be able to sit wherever we want on the bus. Is that fair? I don't want to hear you. Is that fair, white folks? And he goes out there and he says, uh, we're going to resist Bill O'Connor, the meanest sheriff in the South. And they watch O'Connor unleash his dogs on children. You watch the films. If you've seen the films, when you watch your black mothers and them sprayed with the hoses, slammed against walls, falling down, simply because they say, I'd like for my boy to ride on the bus. And what King had to fight is he said, the purpose of the movement is not to get you to hate white folks, but to hate injustice. Because if we hate them, they're going to win. We're already living with hate. We're already living with prejudice. How are you going to get even? Are we going to hate them back? No, no, no. We will not take up arms. We, we will pray. We will kneel on the, the bridge going into Montgomery. Because we're going to resist treating the people like dogs and tell them which fountain they can drink out of and what toilet they can use. We'll say it's sick. A hundred years ago, a man by Lincoln wrote a check that said we are emancipated and you've never cast the check. It's time to cast the check. We ought to be free. And I won't shoot a bullet. I'll preach sermons. I'll try to mobilize. They finally turned kids loose because they incarcerated all the black men. 2,500 men in jail, no more prison room. So they took children to the street. And the nation wept when they saw kids being sprayed out, treated like animals. We've had a man that did it in our own generation. You don't remember it because you didn't watch. You haven't read it. You don't know what it was to be in Mississippi and Alabama in 1952 and treat it like nothing less. And you wouldn't be in an integrated church like this, but the love of God is bigger than racism. The love of God is bigger than color. It's bigger. It's better to treat you. I told Otis Wiley, 
we had a deacon's meeting. I said, oh, just, just know I'd give up my seat for you any day. You could sit at the front of the bus because you're valuable. You're precious. And Peter's talking this way. We did not get saved to fight the Roman Empire. We can't vote in another emperor. We can't change politics. We can change the way the church acts in the world. We will give back love when we've been hated. We will not, re because our Savior did it. The most powerful man in the universe turned the other cheek, went to the cross, and he had all power and all authority, and he said, I don't need angels. Stay home, angels. I'm going to the cross because this is the only way I can save sinners is somebody's got to pay for the evil, and he paid for the evil. So he says, so he says, when you suffer, verse 15, do two things. Treat Christ like Lord, like Lord. And the word Lord means boss, in charge, authority. You know, let's ask, there's a question, a big theological debate. Is Jesus Savior? and then maybe Lord later, or is he Savior and Lord? Friend, he's Savior and Lord. Amen. We don't get to dice him up. You're good enough to die for me, but not good enough to tell me what to do. Who do we think we are? He is Lord. 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 He is Master. And every tongue's going to confess it someday. And every knee. Tell old Nebuchadnezzar that the Ancient of Days is going to slay the nations and a rock cut out without hands is going to set up his kingdom. He is sovereign. He is in your suffering, he's sovereign. Not Nero. Peter went to his death saying, Jesus is Lord. I'm yours. I'm dispensable. And the axe and the cross won't end me. I have a Lord. And he said, sanctify him. Set him aside. You're Lord. And then he said, be ready to give an explanation for your hope. Imagine, I'm suffering. I'm watching brothers and sisters be martyred and be killed. And he said, the one thing you want to be able to say when they're giving you a bad time is, by the way, would you like to know about my hope? Are you kidding? Your hope? You're hopeless. Oh, no. Oh, please tell me a little bit about you. Well, what makes you hopeful? Well, let me tell you a little bit about this word. Uh, it, the word hope when Plato got the word hope, it went like this. Philosophers in Greece said, hope is a subjective, a conjured up expectation. And in the Greek world, only fear or good was in your future. There's nothing neutral. But they said there was no object of hope. You created, like a um, positive thinking, uh, you know, motivational speaker. You can't. 
You, you're strong, so you whip it up. You, you talk to yourself, I, I'm great, I'm great. Uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, as you fall over the cliff, you know, but at the same time, you, you're optimistic. You're optimistic while you're crashing. It's all conjured up inside. Then you get Judaism and, and Christianity that says things like, our God is our hope. Our God is our refuge. Wait, wait, you're acting like there's an object of hope. Uh, oh, uh, our God said he's going to come back and change my vile body someday, so go ahead and kill me, burn me, uh, throw me to the lions. Someday there's a song out now called Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. And there's one line I love at the end. She says, as you walked out of the grave, so will I. Oh, I want to shout right about there. Give me like he walked out of the grave. I'm walking too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nero, you can't take that from me. Nero, you're not in charge of the cemetery. I serve a Lord that's going to resurrect my body. He's going to bring me out. I'm going to reign with him forever. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Tell that to Nero. Oh, instead, when I read the passage, I'm trembling. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. Do you have any hope? Oh, do I have a hope? He, he's coming soon. He's going to change our body. I'm going to reign with him. He's going to redeem us from a cursed world. He said, he is the God of all hope who fills you with peace and joy while you trust him so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, friend, I serve. He's the God of all hope. He's the author. You may be in here today and you're hopeless. I believe this culture is hopeless. They're dying without Christ. And when you're dying of thirst, you'll drink water from any, any source. The drug dealer look is what quenches my thirst. One night stands, sex without commitment, sex without meaning, uh, Videos pouring into me. I'm watching life. I have no hope. I can't say anything is for sure in the future. But you, the weakest child of God, could say, I know this. I'm not going to hell. I know I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus is coming again. I know he's going to resurrect my body. I know he's going to reward me for doing righteousness. Oh, oh, I've got some certain things. I don't whip it up on my worst day. I've got it. On my worst day, it's true. It's based on his promises, and he can't lie. When will you come, Jesus? Oh, I wouldn't mind if he came right now, right this meeting. I tell you. I remember Carol and I coming back from a meeting. Some of you can't find, you, you can't even relate to this because you ain't full of the Holy Ghost yet. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, we're riding back, we're driving to Livermore, Rotter, and, and I reached over. I said, I want to feel your leg. I want to be sure you're still here. We, we thought it was going to happen that night. And I knew she's more saved than me, so I wouldn't be sure she was there. <laughs> you know, are you there? Are you there? 
When I grew up as a kid, if I came home and the house was empty, when I was an unsaved boy, I thought, oh, oh I missed it. He, he's done come. He's caught all the Christians. David and I were around, but we were going to hell anyway. <laughs> Boy, I wanted some Christian in that house. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And he's going to reign. He's going to reign. He, he's going to reward you for all your suffering, for all the surrender. Tell him about your hope. I got a wonderful uh, friend, uh, oncologist, uh, uh, Jewish man out of New York City, uh, about 6'4", wonderful man. And I said, Jack, how did you come to Christ? Uh, became, got it, went to oncology school in Houston and wound up in um, going to Little Rock. He had a friend uh, that went up to Little Rock, Arkansas. I said, what's a Jewish boy doing in Little Rock, Arkansas? Man, that's not, that's not kosher country. That's pig's feet. You got you, you better get straightened out, boy. And uh, I, I said, uh, what, what happened? He said, well, he said, I was a rounder. I was a womanizer. I was a, a doctor. Had my pick of any of the nurses, whatever. I partied. I did this. I was making great living and doing all like that. And, uh, but he said, Phil, he said, it's a terrible thing to be an unsaved doctor to a bunch of Christians. I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I told you I was in Little Rock. He said, Little Rock's got a lot of Christians. Baptist, Pentecostal, Baptist, Tyrian, mixed up. They, 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 they got all kinds of folks. And he said, I, I'm attending to them. And he said, Phil, you got to know I totally distrusted Gentiles. I said, what do you mean? He said, when I was a boy, my folks survived the Holocaust growing up in Brooklyn. I, I looked at any Gentile as someone that would kill me if he could. I have no respect for Gentiles. They killed my people. I learned to hate them, and I learned to be on the guard. So he said, anything much? And then all of a sudden, I'm up here in the Bible Belt with people dying, telling me about Jesus, that I don't even believe uh, that he's Messiah. I don't believe it. I, I'm a pagan Jew. I'm not practicing anything but sin. But he said, things like this would happen nearly weekly. Dr. Sternberg, I've been praying that Jesus would come into your heart. Now they got two days to live. And I'm praying that you'll come to know him because he sure loves you. And matter of fact, I've come to love you. He said, Phil, he said, even on a hardened Jewish boy, they just kept melting me. Then my fellow Jewish partner, he got saved. And I thought, God's sure enough ganging up on me. <laughs> my partner gets saved, and all these born, they were telling him their hope. Doctor, I'm not afraid to die. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to see him. Don't weep for me, doctor. It's you we're concerned about. 
It's you that needs to know him. It's you. Let me tell you this. In the midst of this culture, do we, anybody talking about your hope? You're telling anybody how you can have eternal life, how you can be forgiven, and you can survive even the warriors losing. I mean, you can make it. You can make it. You, you've got something to live for. What's your hope? What's your hope? Do you have a blessed hope? A blessed hope. Do you talk about it? Or does that mouth of yours always nag, gripe, and tell us something negative? You can't even quote a verse. Don't tell me you're walking with him. Don't tell me you're on fire about him. What's your mouth doing? May my mouth be full of his word. My mind meditate on him day and night. And whatsoever I do shall prosper. Deliver me from nauseating Christianity that's cooled off and is vocal about everything but Jesus. I got an opinion on everything. Oh, shut up. I don't want to know it. Tell me how to make money. You do that on the side. But, you know, anything to alleviate. But do you have hope? Do you talk about it? Here, this context, he isn't on a university campus. We're used to apologetics, Ravi Zacharias, maybe at a university. No, no. He said, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of it, would you tell him, I've got hope? Besides that, I've got a Lord. That's why I don't want to return evil to you. I don't want to return evil. What are we giving to this culture? And then he finally says, keeping a clean conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Think of how much suffering you did for doing evil. Lying, cheating. Some of you have got a whole path full of brokenness where you cheated in marriage, you lied, you were a thief, you got caught, you served time, you paid the fine. Uh, most of life is suffering for doing something stupid and wrong. And then God says, you're going to find this hard to believe. I've chosen some of my people to suffer for doing good. I was just reading about the martyrdom of Polycarp when he was 86. He was the bishop of Smyrna about 86 A.D. And uh, they killed another uh, brother before him uh, named Germanicus and the crowd was so bloodthirsty they said kill Polycarp called him an atheist because he didn't pay allegiance to the emperor and uh, they pulled him into the Colosseum he's 86 years old and they got him in there and uh, they kept telling him if you'll just pay allegiance to Nero if you'll just call him Lord and the old man 86 years old Polycarp says for 86 years, I've served him, and he's never done me wrong. How could you expect me to deny him now? My Lord and my Savior, 
And, and because of his age and his notoriety, the proconsul said, said again, maybe you don't understand, Polycarp, all you've got to do is tell me right here that he's not Lord. Just pay allegiance to the emperor. He said, all you atheists are the ones I'm concerned for. You're the atheist. I have a Lord, and I cannot give him up. So they came and bound him, and uh, when they wanted to, uh, they took him. They were going to nail him uh, to the pyre and nail his hands down so he wouldn't get away. And, and the old man, just look at him, 86. The old man just said, wait, 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 you don't need to nail my hands. He said, I could stay in the flames without nails. I'm submitting to this. Let, let me go into the flames without nails. So they did. They put him in there, and then all of a sudden he's singing. He's praising God. And uh, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't roasting quick enough. And so the proconsul told a soldier, go stab him. And they went. And the flames were going and stabbed him. And the way the wound came out, his blood put out the flame. The witnesses who were Christians said it seemed like a cloud enveloped Polycarp. He said it seemed like it, was, it appeared. This is in Eusebius Church history. He said it just seemed like a, a room was created where he's in this room by himself. He was kind of like the three Hebrew children. The fourth man was with him at the stake because he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. I don't forsake my own. Guess what, Peter? He cut off a man's ear. He denied me three times. I want to change you to be a willing martyr. Polycarp. And for 300 years, Rome could not put out the church. And the empire that was to last forever became a has-been. And 2,100 years later, the church is alive and well. The church is alive and well. He's saving all over.